Good morning. Um, I'm so thrilled to be here in person for the uh, in-person Sunday service, the first of its kind here at the cathedral. I have a deep and abiding affection for St. John's and am delighted to be part of this community. A few months ago, um, I was given an official letter of call from my Lutheran bishop and the Rocky Mountain Synod Council to serve as pastor of public witness. And as such, I'm connected to three congregations in Denver as I do my uh, work of public theology. Uh, and they are three places that uh, are kind enough to let me preach occasionally. Uh, one is this cathedral. The other is Montview Presbyterian. And the third is very dear to my heart, uh, New Beginnings. New Beginnings is a worshiping community that is comprised uh, of the women in the women's prison in Denver. Um, and I have, um, they've been in lockdown since COVID started um, to keep the virus out of such a confined space. So they have not seen any of their family, any of their friends, They've not gathered for worship. All of their classes and programs have been canceled. Um, and so rather than doing in-person worship, I've been recording sermons on occasion on my phone in my living room, and they put a video together that the women get to see on Fridays. Except for today. Um, today, the sermon is going to be recorded and sent to them from here. And so I welcome the women of New Beginnings Worshiping Community in the Denver Women's Prison to this Pentecost liturgy at the cathedral. You are loved and you're wanted and you're not forgotten. And I cannot wait until we're together again. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. I'm a big fan of Pentecost Sunday. Um, I love how weird it is. I love how the Holy Spirit is like the mischievous member of the Trinity. So at House for All Sinners and Saints, uh, we would always have red velvet cake at Pentecost. Um, and a couple times we hired fire dancers to perform in the courtyard before liturgy. I didn't see any. I didn't see any when I came in, but maybe next year. Uh, and once we had, a, we had people stationed at each corner of the sanctuary with red confetti cannons that they set off as a surprise during the Acts reading. Um, it ends up my parishioners were not as fond of that one as I thought they'd be. All that is to say, uh, Pentecost is just um, a really fun day of the church year. But as I tried to study the Pentecost story this week, I couldn't get past this one line that I've read thousands of times and never once thought was remarkable compared to the more theatrical moments of Pentecost, the flames of fire and speaking in tongues and accusations of disciples boozing it up at 9 a.m. on a church day. This carnival of a story is just barely pounding stakes in the ground. It hasn't even opened its fantastical tent to the wonders inside. And I kept getting stopped in my tracks by the first sentence, which I'd never actually really noticed before. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. That thing that was taken away from us and that we have had, we had no idea we were even going to lose. 
We did not know to treasure it when we had it. They were all together in one place. I did not know 15 months ago that just being together in one place would be the thing about Pentecost 2021 that would feel the most fantastic. This coming Saturday is the memorial service for a man who died six months ago. His name is Mike Myers, and he was my youth minister when I was in high school. And let's just say I was not the most compliant teenager, and I for sure had one Doc Martin out the door of my conservative Church of Christ the whole time that Mike was my youth minister, but I never once doubted he loved me, and we maintained a true affection for each other um, for all of these decades since. He died with and during COVID, and so even though he was a beloved man who pastored thousands of people throughout his life, the church could not gather together in one place to grieve and pray and sing hymns until this coming weekend. It has been a particularly cruel aspect of the pandemic that it has killed our loved ones and then prevented us from gathering together to mourn them. So I'm overwhelmed being here with you together in one place, even if it's just 50 people in a parish hall of a cathedral. And I look forward to the day when I can worship again with you, the women at New Beginnings. But all of that is to say, I, I kept reading when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and I couldn't keep reading the rest of the story. And it made me realize that maybe it's because, yes, I'm thrilled to be here with you, but I'm also just overwhelmed by the enormity of grief we are carrying with us. And I feel like I should confess that um, I don't know how to do this part. The part where we just survived 14 months without being able to be together in one place. The part where we survived when so many died. The part where we look around and see the rubble of an angry, divided country. The part where we emerge from our isolation, not knowing who we are now, not knowing how to have faith now, not knowing how to have hope now, not knowing how to ever go back or how to possibly move forward. We who have survived the pandemic. So yeah, I'm not, I guess, super interested in the Holy Spirit going wild in a chaotic polyglot tent revival in Acts right now. Uh, but I did find myself comforted by Ezekiel's Valley of the Dry Bones. Because there we find the Holy Spirit doing something we really need right now. She was speaking through a prophet who was looking out over his own people's grief and loss. And I was comforted thinking maybe he, like us, also didn't know how to do that part. See, the Valley of the Dry Bones text we just heard was written at the end of the Babylonian exile, a time of loss and displacement and grief and hardship. But the bones the Holy Spirit led him out to see were not of the many who had died in exile. He, the bones he prophesied to represented the many who had survived the exile. The bones that the Holy Spirit basically tricked Ezekiel into prophesying to, they were the dry hearts of the survivors, the dry faith of the survivors, the dry hopes of the survivors. They who said, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off completely. Mortal, 
Can these bones live? You know, O Lord. When I say I do not know how to do this part, I think what I mean is that I do not know how to fix my own heart, how to soften it after months of anger towards our fellow citizens. I don't know how to make myself hopeful after seeing what we've lost. I do not know how to bring myself together again. But then I read the words of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I I open your graves and bring you up, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I am comforted that the Lord God didn't say to the bones, just do more yoga to cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. The Lord God didn't say, just apply some of that grit and personal responsibility and open those graves you got yourself into. The prophet tells us that God will put God's spirit in us and we shall live. It is a comfort to me that the bones in Ezekiel's valley were the object in the story and not the subject in the story. The culture around us may be calling for us to be brave and forge forward and apply our self-determination and our will to the project of just moving on. And, may, and I may occasionally wish that trying hard and winning was the primary belief of the Christian faith or perseverance and victory or woke tweeting and righteous indignation was the primary reality of our faith. But it is, it was, and it will always be death and resurrection. That is the primary metaphor, the primary idea, the primary key signature of the Christian faith. Were the Christian story anything else? Were it the spiritual Ponzi scheme pawned off by toothy grin TV preachers, it would be truly an occasion for offering us nothing in moments like this. But to the spirit, it is in moments when the tomb is the darkest, when the night is the longest, when our self-sufficiency is the most useless, that she's like, finally, this I can do something with. <laughs> we cannot make bone come to bone. We cannot animate ourselves with our own breath. We cannot resurrect ourselves. We can just be the ones upon whom the Spirit acts. I wish I had the kind of faith where I easily gave everything over to God, but I don't. Give me even a sliver of light in a tomb. I dug myself, and I'll be like, I got this. <laughs> so if you are anything like me, and you also do not know how to do this part. Maybe that is a good thing. The reason you don't know how to do whatever comes next is it's not yours to do. It's the Holy Spirit's to do. Our advocate. Our comforter. We believe in the Holy Spirit around here, by the way. The Lord the giver of life, the opener of graves, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
with the Father and the Son. She is not always understood, and you cannot always set your watch by her, but she is worshiped and glorified. And she has spoken through the prophets, which is why we know to look to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen.